0: I like being in a church with everybody, with their hand fans. (laughs) I was at First Corinthians Baptist Church last Sunday in Solidarity. And uh, it just was great. People had, had, it was air conditioned, but people were still doing this. (laughs) That's what they were doing, you know. And then, the the, the great thing about when the sermon came, they, they brought up the lectern, like they had two special guys that brought up the lectern he didn't really know when the pastor was going to come out, and then he came up, and it's very uh, dramatic. <laughs> I love it. Well, this is a, an intense night, huh? It's a, it's a big thing to be here for the second time this week. We're trying to hold, trying to contain a lot of contradictory feelings and emotions. The first gathering here was much simpler emotionally, but not easy at all. We were here on Wednesday night. The grown community was strongly representing. We were together with our loving landlord, the West End Presbyterian Church, and Reverend Allison Drummond was coasting. And we were joined by partners like Lab Shule and Auburn Seminary Intersections. We all came together in solidarity that night to sing to speak, to be silent, to be in somber reflection. And ultimately we were together in grief and outrage for the horrific massacre that took place in Charleston a little bit over a week ago. We were honoring the Charleston Nine and we called the program Nine Souls, Nine Verses. Nine verses. Nine Sukim, nine stories, nine tarot, nine sacred scrolls, parchment emptied of its meaning, letters flying back to heaven, we came together. And on a day like today, when many of the Emmanuel AME were laid to rest, and of course, President Obama eulogized their felled leader, their murdered leader. Rev. Clementa Pinckney, we gather on this second gathering, this Shabbat evening, to hold that grief. And once again, we come into a sanctuary that is, as I said earlier tonight, our presence here already is a protest against hate. Our presence here tonight is already an affirmation that we will not be afraid, because we are, we are all grounded in love, grounded in the safety net that is our faith in the goodness of this world. And so we are here in solidarity with our sisters and brothers in the African American community. We are here in solidarity with all communities that are guided by love and faith. We are here to honor those lives that were ripped away. So we're still in it. And we should be in it. We should. Stay in this place. We shouldn't move too quickly. We shouldn't rush off to say it's all going to be okay. It's all okay. The arc of history is long, but it will bend towards justice. So remember that bending. We're still in it. We need time and space to grieve, we need time to breathe into the shock. To feel all the different emotions that loss like this brings up individuals grieve and so do groups. Societies need time to grieve. Nations need time to grieve. But in our fast-paced techno-advanced world nothing stays on the front page for long, right? I was counting the days till this was going to be replaced by something and thankfully today was replaced by the good news the gospel of what took place today, but things recede so quickly. People want to know, what do I do? But in Judaism, we devote a full month out of the calendar for grieving. In Judaism, we work through cycles of grief. This first day, the Oninut, the seventh-day cycle, the 30-day cycle, the year-long cycle, the yortzeit, There are cycles of grief that we move through, recognizing that grief is a dance. We learn to dance slowly. In this week's Torah portion, in the weekly wisdom tomorrow morning, we're gonna look at what happens when we don't allow ourselves enough time to grieve. We're gonna look tomorrow morning at what happens when we don't honor moments that need to be honored, that need to be held with great attention and awareness and patience, we are going to look tomorrow morning at a story about the death of Miriam. Now once this week I was talking to a dear friend and who never ever forgets about Miriam. And somehow this week Miriam was lost, but we're bringing Miriam back tonight because Miriam passes away in the Torah tomorrow morning and it's given to us at the beginning of chapter 20 in one very terse five words. They arrived at Midbar Tzin, the Israelite camp arrives at the desert of Tzin. Vatamat sham Miriam vatika ver sham and Miriam died there and was buried there. No mention of mourning for Miriam. They don't stop. There's no mention of a period of recognizing her contribution to the community. Nothing, nada. Miriam dies and is buried. And by contrast, Moshe's brother Aaron will also die tomorrow morning. And when Moshe's brother Aaron dies, they cried for him for one full month. Not only is the Torah silent about the mourning period for Miriam, the sister of Moshe. But the Torah's next word moves on. The very next word of the Torah says, it shifts the scene. Now there wasn't water for the community. Now there wasn't any water. And we're sitting there going, wait a second. What happened to Miriam? What happened to the sister of Moshe, what happened? There was no water for the Edah. One commentator, the Kliyakar, connects the loss of water with the loss of Miriam. He says that it is known in the rabbinic tradition that the death of each of the three leaders, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, corresponded with the loss of three supernatural phenomena that happened and existed, assisted the Israelites in the desert, Right? And with Miriam's death, we lost Miriam's well. And says the Kliakar, the lack of water that then punished the Israelites. They didn't have water was due to the fact that they didn't honor the gift of Miriam. She brought them water in the desert, and they didn't mourn. And so they didn't have water. Very nice. It's a kind of moral teaching about the importance of what happens when we don't honor. But listen to this teaching from Aura from Hornprouser, a friend and colleague. She says that there's a much deeper and profound way to view the juxtaposition of Miriam's death and the no water episode that they rush to. She writes that this drought. The one that immediately follows Miriam's death is the one where Moses is told to speak to the rock. And well, we know he he doesn't. Speak to the rock, Moses. And what does Moses do, everyone? Moses is supposed to speak to the rock. And what does he do? He strikes the rock twice. This becomes the sin of Moses. This becomes the reason Moses doesn't enter into the Promised Land. This becomes the impediment to to the fulfillment of Moses' dream. One day I will be in the Promised Land. He hits the rock. And immediately before he hits the rock, well, let's hold on for a second. What's Moses' sin? What's his sin? So some say, as I'm sure you're about to say, that when he hit the rock, he was supposed to speak to it. That's the sin. Some others say that that's too inconsequential. Really, he hit a rock? Big deal. Others say that really he wasn't ever supposed to be given the promised land, and the rock hitting was an excuse, a ruse, to keep him from going into the land. And still others say that he sinned when he said, shall we bring forth water? giving himself an heir and Aaron the power that is only given to God. Shall we bring forth water? We will bring you water. Who's we? Moshe. God will bring water. That's another theory on the sin of Moshe. And you know what? Nobody knows. One great commentator, whatever, said that the Torah gives one sin to Moses, and all of the commentators that came after Moses gave him 13 more. <laughs> <laughs> Moses has one sizz, sin says, Utsado. and all of the commentators made up all of these things. It was because he didn't speak to it, it was because we don't know what the sin is. Orahone Prouser says something profound. She says, immediately before Moses hits the rock, he says out loud, Shimunahamorim, listen here, you rebels. Now, some commentators say that that alone was the sin. How could he call the beautiful Israelites Morim, rebels? I find that hard to believe. (laughs) This is what Ora says. The word for rebels is Morim. It appears nowhere else in the Bible in this form. Remarkably, in their unvocalized form, the words Morim, rebels, and Miriam are identical. Both words are made up of the same four Hebrew consonants, mem, yud, resh, mem, miriam. Prowser suggests that this verbal anomaly or coincidence intimates that Moshe at the rock has more to do with losing Miriam than with morim, the rebels. In other words, Moses had unresolved grief. And that the sin that keeps Moshe from entering the promised land—are you with me, everybody? I don't know if you're hearing this—the sin that keeps Moshe from entering into the land, the quintessential sin in the Torah—that Moses is. That's the sin that stops him from entering the land. Is that he calls the rebels by his sister's name? He displaces his deeply unresolved well of grief. His unresolved anguish, his unworked through pain, his unseen blind spot is now projected out into this group. Moshe is sitting on a well of tears. Moshe is sitting on a, his earliest protector, Miriam, the one who watches him from afar to see if he will be OK. Miriam, His rock, his stability, his source, his one lifeline to his real family. Miriam, who drew him from the water. Miriam. She dies, and no one stops to say a word. No one stops to feel it. Nobody stops to say, it hurt. Ouch. I'm hurting. We're going to miss you, Mirjam. We're going to miss your well. We're going to miss your presence. We need you, Mirjam. In my own personal life, I'm watching my two boys work with the grief of letting go of their nanny for two years now. And it's amazing to watch how sadness turns to anger. My three and a half year old who doesn't have words to say, I'm going to miss Nicole. Tonight was her last night. And we put together all these gifts, and we tried to make a transition to create some kind of emotional landing bay for them. She's essentially been with them more hours a week than my wife and I in the last two years. And my little guy, Tal, he said, we said, Tal, are you sad? Nicole's leaving. He said, no, I'm angry. And he started hitting. How quickly sadness turns to anger, how quickly hurt becomes. Striking out. Moshe, who knows how to hit people and objects. Moshe, whose first moment on the scene was striking an Egyptian, who doesn't believe that he has the words with which to persuade his own people. Moshe, who doesn't know, Moshe hits the rock. Moshe's life is held between two moments of striking. He strikes an Egyptian. He strikes a rock. Moshe, who is not a man of words, thinks he doesn't need them to open up a rock. Legitimate suffering, legitimate suffering is what heals neurosis. When we don't grieve what needs to be grieved, we create symptoms. When we don't look at the wound that needs to be tended to, it festers that happens for me, it happens for you, it happens in this country. When we're not willing to look at a grief, at a pain that is being held and work it through appropriately, when we move on, when conversations aren't fully exposed, elaborated upon, given the air of day, it doesn't go away. What happened last week in Charleston, what happened last year, What happened 1520 it won't go away until we own it until we own it fully in complete power not in the sense of oh my god wednesday night john vaughn a great minister from auburn university auburn seminary stood here in roman and west end and said i'm a black man and my whole life he said i feel like a shark because sharks, when they stop moving, they die. So I keep moving, he said. I keep moving, looking over my shoulder. I keep moving. And then he challenged all of us, he said, own it. He said, I want to own as a man that I have a legacy of misogyny. I want to own as a straight man that I have a legacy of homophobia. I want to own, he said, bless you. I want to own it. So when will we own it? After we've struck rocks over and over again thinking, okay, water comes out, that'll be great. Moshe struck an Egyptian and it was okay. But what if he hadn't struck the Egyptian? What if it hadn't been forced? What if it had been his words? What if it had been his commitment? What if it had been Moshe using the very thing that he thinks he doesn't have, which are words and eloquence? Moshe, you have it, Moshe. God says to him, you can speak. I've given you that power. Use it. This is your test. Take your staff with you and think that you might use your staff as you did so many times before, Moshe. But don't, because you've been through so much and you have words, so speak to that rock and bring forth water. You can do it, Moshe. And like that poem from Rabbi Jill, Moshe feels the pressure, he feels, and Moshe reacts. Tomorrow morning before the story of Miriam's death, we have in the Torah the quintessential death ritual called the Paraduma, the red heifer. Chapter 19 of the book of Numbers is what my son Bear would call a mystery. I said to him this week, um, Bear, what's the difference between a secret and mystery? Because he likes mysteries and he doesn't like secrets. So you know what he said to me? He said, Abba, a secret is when you know something but you won't tell me. A mystery is where we both don't know but we're going to find out. Yeah, is that good? Right on. I was like, that's it, I'm going to say that tonight so I never forget it, because it's on that tape, it's good. (laughs) The quintessential mystery of the Torah is the parah the red heifer. We're told in the tradition that even King Solomon said, I tried to understand the red heifer, but it is too far. I can't get my head around this odd ritual. The Torah says, take a red cow, brownish, perfect no blemish, and burn that cow, put hyssop, and put cedar wood, and place crimson, and burn it until it's just ashes, and then place some water that is alive, some living flowing water, into that concoction, and then sprinkle it on people. It is the absolutely clearest expression of the principle of impermanence in our tradition. It is impermanence writ large. The most perfect animal, burn it. The most perfect animal, tamim. Everything will fall away. Everything. It's a mystery, we don't get it. We don't get death at all. But here's the amazing thing. That in the red heifer ceremony, if you were already pure and you touched it, you became impure. If you were impure and you touched it, you became pure. And Shlomo Kabach once said, it teaches us forever that if we want to help someone out, we have to be willing to get muddy with them. We've got to say, I'm going to purify you even though it's going to make me impure. I'm going to heal you even though it might make me sick. I'm going to work in that place even though I might be affected by it in a way that will, it will limit my freedom, it will limit me in some way. Tomorrow morning we read about Miriam, we read about the Red Heifer to tell us All of us. That if we're not willing to look at those things that need to be seen, if we're not willing to feel those things that need to be felt, healing won't happen. I reject the bifurcation of feeling and action that I've heard over the past week. We're not going to grieve, we're going to act. We're not going to grieve, we're going to organize. No, it doesn't work like that. We're going to grieve and we're going to organize. Yeah, we're gonna grieve and we're going to act. We're gonna feel, we're gonna own, we're gonna see, we're going to look, we're going to bring it close because we can't fix something if we don't see it, if we don't own it, if we don't bring it close. It's a long sermon, I'm done, but here's the last thing. <laughs> the last thing, is I can honestly, I think, you know, nine verses. I said we were here twice this week, it was nine verses of sadness on Wednesday night. And on a day like today, which mixes together the ashes of the the para aduma, the ashes of Charleston, the ashes of all of those who passed before for civil rights and for human rights, for equality, mixed together with the the living waters of of the decision of the Supreme Court today. I want to let you know that there are nine verses in the Torah that are called the nine verses of redemption. I never knew this. Read this in Aviva Zornberg today. She says that if you look in the book of Exodus, when Moses is pleading with God and saying, God, send somebody else, don't send me. And God says, no, no, I'm sending you, Moses. And he says, no, 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 not me. send somebody else. And God says, no, 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 I'm sending you. And Moshe says, well, when they ask me who you are, what am I going to tell them? And at that moment, in chapter, I think it's chapter 22. No, no, it's chapter 4, verse 14. I'll go look it up. It's in the book of Exodus. God says to Moses, here's who you tell them sent you. The God of becoming sent you. And there become, from that point on, nine verses of freedom, of vision, of empowerment. How about that? Let's go out into the world and say, you know who sent me? The God of becoming sent me. You know who sent me? The God of a could be sent me. You know who sent me? I don't have a voice, but the God who said You can do it, sent me. The God, the power that said yesterday it was impossible, but tomorrow it will be a reality. That's the one who sent me. Tell them that yesterday, gay marriage wasn't even a thought. It wasn't even on the table. And look what happened in this much time. So go tell it. Let's own it. Let's be it. Let's grieve it. And let's imagine it together. I'm not letting this one off the table. We are going to think about Charleston from now until there's a change in this country, until we are here with another another big day. And just as we said, with Newtown, we weren't taking that off the table. We're not taking this off the table. So we are rejoicing tonight. and We're going to stand now and make a blessing because today is the day that the ashes of the duma and the living waters of freedom came together. And God should give us the strength to see a day where each and every human being is free, each and every human being is seen, and the God of becoming has made this world into a true sanctuary for all of her children. Amen. Amen. Please rise.